Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of We're Watching Star Trek, the original series. Today, we're going to cover Season 1, Episode 5, The Enemy Within. Original air date is October 6, 1966. I am Brandon, and I'm here again with Dan. How's it going? And Paul's actually not with us today. He's got some technical issues he has to get worked out, so hopefully he can come back and join us next week. Uh, this episode opens up with a shot of the M- Enterprise orbiting a planet, which is pretty much what happens every episode, I'm realizing. Uh, the crew of the Enterprise is on a specimen-gathering mission on another desert-looking planet called Alpha-177. And Sulu is holding what's supposed to be, I guess, like some weird furry uh, horned like unicorn creature, but it's pretty obviously just like a dog in a suit. Perfect role for a dog. Yeah. I don't know what I expected when we were going to get our first like non-human creature, but just like an, it's very obviously a dog and it's just it's like impossible to get past that. And I was wondering, like, do you think that the people in like the 60s saw that and they were like, oh, my God, look at that alien? Or were they just like, that's a dog? I would like to think like, wow, that's mind blowing. They're able to dress a dog up. Yeah. And it's just going to, you know, basically stay still the whole time. Yeah, that was a very well-behaved dog throughout the entire episode, too. Like, that's that's what I thought was crazy. So, Sulu is uh, shaking a little bit, and he mentions to Captain Kirk that the temperature is starting to drop. And Kirk says that at night, uh, that temperature of that planet gets down to 120 below zero. And uh, Sulu is, is just like, oh, you know, that's that's nippy. Which, I mean, just a little bit. Which makes me wonder how the dog hybrid thing, whatever it is, is able to survive that extreme you know cold every night oh my god i didn't even think of that yeah like it's it's furry but it like it's got that hair but it's not like you wouldn't think it would keep you warm you think they like hibernate or not hibernate but like uh like they dig it in the ground and have like underground you know like layers or whatever i mean you would have to you you would want to get out of the cold somehow yeah i didn't even think of that (laughs) they didn't bother to explain it like they could have said something huh like oh this this fur is so good, it'll keep you warm when it's, what do you say, uh, uh, negative 160? Negative uh, 120 is what they get to. 120. I, I couldn't imagine how cold that is. Yeah. So they hear some uh, some rocks fall, and they, they hear a guy yell, and they go and rush to investigate, and they find um, geological technician Fisher, and he fell off uh, a little embankment and injured his hand, and Kirk tells him to go back to the sick bay. Uh, so on the Enterprise, Scotty beams uh, Fisher up, and as he's beaming up, they get like a little alarm starts to go off, and Scotty looks a little concerned. And then they get a shot of the transporter, and Fisher just looks like he's like stuck mid-transport, like he's just kind of half there, half not. So on the planet, is he is it like the same thing on the planet? Do you think like everybody just sees him kind of half beamed? Well, he walked away, so you never see him around people getting beamed up. Right, but like. On on the planet, though, like this Fisher guy, as he's kind of stuck in the transport uh, process, he's kind of half in the ship, but is he also like half on the planet at that point? Like, is he kind of halfway in two places at once? Hmm. I don't know. So uh, Scotty starts making some adjustments to the transport to try to fix it. And uh, Fisher, you know, he makes it in all the way and he uh, steps off the transporter and I immediately thought like what happened to the decontamination process like did they not learn their lesson from the virus that just took over their whole ship not too long ago i was kind of thinking the same thing on that yeah like they're just down there on a planet you know messing around with uh, like weird animals and stuff and they just completely threw out everything that recently happened to them and like oh that's fine we can bring up whatever contamination there is well you'd also think the sterilization 
would help with the wound anyway. Yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. Like, well, does it sterilize or does it just decontaminate? Well, I guess if there's germs like in wounds, then those would be a contamination, right? Like a foreign uh, substance or something. That would also beg the question, how would it know which one's the target? Yeah, that's, yeah, you wouldn't want it going after like the good stuff in your body. Um, so Scotty and uh, another technician approach Fisher and they give him like a little scan and he's talking about, you know, he fell off, you know, an embankment into some kind of yellow ore. And Scotty finishes up the scan and says that the ore is uh, magnetic and tells Fisher to go decontaminate his uniform. And so uh, Fisher leaves, you know, Scotty uh, says that the transporter acted like it was having a burnout. So like it's really weird to decontaminate now after he's already stepped off the transporter. But, I mean, I guess they did get to it eventually. So, back down on the planet, uh, Kirk contacts Scotty, says that he's ready to beam up, and Scotty's like, well, you know, it's going to be a minute. You know, we got to finish correcting the the transporter. And he says that uh, everything checks out okay now after, like, two seconds. He's, I got to finish this thing, so it could be just a second. It's, it's, like, literally two seconds. Oh, it's good to go. Yeah, he just, like, pressed, like, two or three buttons. He's like, nah, it's fine. Uh, so, he sends uh, the other technician to go get a synchronic meter so he can double check. And, like, why wouldn't you double check that before you teleported Kirk up? He's like, no, we're good. We're, we'll, you know, we'll double check everything afterwards. Uh, that's what I was kind of thinking also. Like, you just said that you need to check it out. Then you're like, oh, never mind. We'll just beam the captain up. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Have they not seen this show? Yeah, like, have they? has he not been there for any of the shit that's happened recently? Well, you know, you gotta replace those dead crewmen. Yeah, you think they would just be really, really cautious about every single situation. Like, the stupidest little stuff you would think they would be overly cautious about. Like, in their little bit of journey so far, it's been nothing but trouble. And he's like, I'm willing to chance this teleporter or transporter. I'm really trying not to say teleporter, because I know it's not. Like, I know it's a transporter and they do the same thing. But right. I feel like uh, we'll catch some flack for that. <laughs> So he tells Kirk that he's locked on, and then he he beams him up. And Kirk beams in, but, you know, he's taking some time to get through as well, same as Fisher did. And then when he gets finished, he kind of stumbles off the transporter pad. And Scotty comes up and, you know, offers to help escort him out of the room. And Kirk's like, no, you know, you shouldn't leave the transporter room unattended, so I'll go. And Scotty's like, ah, it's fine, we'll, we'll go. So they leave, and then momentarily, like, uh, a moment after they leave, uh, another... Captain Kirk appears in the transporter and uh, he does like he comes in facing the opposite direction. So like he's facing the back of the transporter and then he does like this, you know, incredibly cheesy, like evil guy reveal where he turns around and like the camera zooms in and everything's all red and like the, the lighting gets all dark and they have like the ominous music. So like if even if you're just like dumb as hell, like you know that that's an evil version of Kirk. The, the, the crazy eyes really give it away. Then I realized, like, I went back to read the uh, episode description because I don't read the episode descriptions before I watch the episode. And, yeah, it's definitely uh, Evil Kirk. So this is where we get the uh, the show opening and we get the captain's log and all that. Uh, Stardate 1672.1. Uh, and then Kirk just outright says, you know, hey, there's a duplicate of me, uh, some kind of strange alter ego. And it was caused by a transporter malfunction. Duplicate Kirk approaches the transporter terminal and the other technician comes back and asks if if he's okay. And Duplicate Kirk is obviously just a dick and he just doesn't answer and he leaves. And I know I'm going to say Duplicate Kirk a lot, so I'm probably just going to call him like DK, not to be confused with Donkey Kong. If only he had some barrels, he would have been unstoppable. Yeah. So in the corridor, 
Scotty recommends to regular Kirk that he gets checked out by Dr. McCoy. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'll go to the sick bay and I'll do that. But instead, he goes to his quarters where Yeoman Rand is waiting to give him some ship manifests. And he just kind of dismisses her and, and lays down on his bed. And again, it's like, why wouldn't you go to the sick bay? <laughs> like, you're not feeling great. You came from a foreign planet. There was trouble with the transporter. Like, you know, this kind of stuff should be like instant sick bay visit. And he's just like, even Kirk it has that moment of stupidity. He's like, I'm just going to go lay down. Yeah, especially like considering everything they've you gone through so far. Better. But in the sick bay, uh, McCoy is checking out Fisher when Duplicate Kirk walks in and demands some uh, Saurian brandy. So he exists like he literally exists on this planet or like in this universe for all of like two minutes. And he immediately just wants to get drunk. And apparently you have to go to your doctor to get drunk. Yeah. Is that is alcohol like a prescribed thing there? Because he had like an entire cabinet of it. Well, and I, yeah, I so far in the show, we haven't seen anyone else drinking like in the quarters. So it makes me wonder if, you know, the doctor can prescribe you a drink. Yeah, no, we haven't seen anybody drink anywhere. That's a good point. A- every time Kirk has gone for a drink, he's gone to see McCoy. So, like, on the Enterprise, they have, you know, maybe they have, like, a beach deck just based on what we saw in, like, the pilot episode. And they have a bowling alley, but they don't have a bar. I'm pretty sure that from my limited knowledge of uh, The Next Generation, I think that they do have a bar on that Enterprise. Maybe they just, like, added one later. Maybe there's some weird uh, Federation law saying that the the captain's not allowed to drink. So, you know, Dr. McCoy's actually, you know, helping them out. Like, hey, I won't tell nobody. Yeah, and maybe because if you remember, like, in the pilot uh, that the doctor of that ship brought uh, some drinks to Pike when he was in his quarters and had him, like, hidden away in his little uh, doctor's case. So maybe, yeah, maybe he's not allowed to. But it's still weird that it's locked away. Well, you know, you probably got some teenagers on the ship somewhere. Yeah, just those uh, those young, like, well, maybe not teenagers, but, like, you know, early 20s that just want to party in a starship. I mean, who wouldn't want to, honestly? I mean, y- you go by, like, a supernova, you're going to have a drink. Yeah, and then, obviously, you know, Duplicate Kirk just exists for, like, two minutes and wants to get drunk. But he's just, like, he's party Kirk now. That's how, you know, that's how they're, like, trying to portray him being evil. Like, hey, this dude needs a drink right away. Like, he, obviously, he's bad. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that... I don't think that makes him evil. Like that would just make him some guy I would probably, you know, hang out with at a bar every now and then. Right. <laughs> like, look, I had a hard day. Like I just came into existence. You know, I had to step off a teleporter pad or transporter. You know, I need a drink. It's been a rough one. So uh, McCoy dismisses uh, Fisher, who tells Duplicate Kirk that his hand feels much better. And, you know, again, he just gets kind of dismissed. And then I was like, oh, my God, Fisher didn't die. Like he was unnamed for the first uh, small section of the episode. Like he got hurt and he didn't die. So they've already broken the trope of the first few episodes where like the unnamed crewmen just perish for some reason. Look, that would have been pretty sad if he would have died from a hand cut. Yeah. But I mean, you know, weirder things have happened so far. I mean, that's true. So McCoy approaches a uh, duplicate Kirk who grabs him by the back of the neck and demands the brandy and uh, bones open up, opens up the case and gives him the brandy. And then, you know, fake Kirk just leaves. Uh, but in the corridor, he's just, you know, drinking, hanging out, and he's walking around and finds Janice's room and decides he wants to go in there. So we go back to regular Kirk's room, and uh, Mr. Spock knocks on the door, and he enters the room, 
And he's like, hey, you know, McCoy sent me here. He just wants me to check up on you. And uh, he said you were acting kind of like a wild man. And Kirk is like, well, you know, is he just playing a joke? And Spock just seems a little suspicious of that. But he, you know, he ultimately just ends up leaving. Uh, no big deal, whatever. Uh, back in the transporter room, Scotty is holding the unicorn dog, or like it. I don't know. I don't know what else to call it. It's just like it's. it's I don't want to call it a horn dog, like a horned dog. Hor- it's, yes, it's horn dog. dog. That's what we should call it. <laughs> I kind of like unicorn dog though because it's got corn dog in there. Well, you, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole with me on corn dogs. Kid, yeah, that's true. Um, kid, do you think you could eat those small animals? Like, do you think they have enough meat to uh, like be good? Like underneath all that fur, one and a half men maybe would be able to get some food. Like you'd probably be hungry even about an hour. If it's like a starving, like if you're gonna, you know, you're marooned somewhere and you're just gonna starve to death, and you happen across like unicorn dog, you could probably get something out of it. I wonder if it's mostly fur. If there's just like a lot of meat under there. I mean, as cold as the planet gets, you think there'd be more fur than meat. Yeah, that's true. It's probably like super thin, and it's just a a whole lot of uh, fur or hair. But uh, Scotty's holding the unicorn dog and Spock and Kirk into the room and Scotty tells him about the transporter issue and he, he opens this box and shows that there's a really pissed off unicorn dog in there. So, you know, he goes on to explain that it's not a duplicate. So I, I'm wrong in calling him duplicate Kirk, apparently, uh, but he's an opposite. And like the regular one or just one of them is real gentle and the, the one's like super mean. And he's like, you know, hey, we can't uh, get the rest of the crew back up here because we don't know what's going to happen. Like, we don't want to take the chance of there being duplicates. So Kirk uh, just kind of like immediately recognizes what's going on. Like he he has this kind of, you know, aha thing for like the little bit that's already happened. But uh, this is what, where I was wondering. OK, so like they're opposites, right? And they say that opposites attract. So could... <laughs> Could we get like some Kirk on Kirk action going? He's like, man, you're stunningly handsome. I like how you look. Yeah, like regular Kirk's like, man, you're like you're so strong and angry. And then the other Kirk's like, you're so you know gentle and intelligent. And I feel like that's like some. <laughs> there's probably fan fiction of that out there. And for like just a split second there, I was, I was like, I should see if there is. And then I immediately came to my senses and was like, no, I should not see if there is. <laughs> I don't think I need that in my life. You don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't I don't need that. Um so back in Janice's room, uh she goes inside of her, you know, her room and finds that uh, opposite Kirk is there and he just immediately starts hitting on her and he's like, "Yeah, you know, you're like you're super beautiful and all that." And so, you know, he's been alive for like 5 minutes at this point and he wants to drink and he wants to have sex. So, I was wondering if like this is a callback to maybe like the naked time, like maybe this is the naked time because there was no naked time there. That that's true. He was he was pretty upset about that one. Yeah. So we make a move for naked time and uh he grabs her and and this like delivers like the most forceful kiss I've ever seen. And obviously she resists and she gets mad and she like throws him on the floor and then he jumps on her, which is is kind of like edgy for the 1960s like it's I mean, obviously, it's meant to be, like, rapey, but it's, like, super rapey. I was like, I can't believe they showed this on TV in the 60s. That's kind of what I was thinking also. Yeah, like, it was, it could have been more violent, but, like, it was pretty violent, I think, for back then. But uh, she scratches up uh, opposite Kirk's face and manages to get up and run and hide behind an easel. And uh, he chases her. She tries to leave. And uh, he catches her, like, just as she's trying to get out the door. 
And uh, good old Fisher is walking by and Janice yells at him. She's like, hey, you know, help call Mr. Spock. And so like he runs off to do that and opposite Kirk chases him out of the room and then attacks him in the corridors. And I'm like, oh, is this how Fisher goes? Like, I I really hope that, you know, he doesn't just die because every random guy just dies. Well, there when he started pummeling his face, I thought that negative Kurt was going to kill him. Yeah, I was like, damn, dude, like he's going to murder him with his bare hands. Just like beat him into the floor. What is he, Batman? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of like negative Batman. Well, you know, well, you know, Batman does like to pummel criminals. Yeah, but like Batman is kind of angry, angry like that. So so in Kirk's quarters, Spock is questioning him about the events that uh, Yeoman Rand and McCoy have reported. And Kirk wants to find out what's going on. So he's like, hey, you know, let's go to the sick bay. Let's just go get this worked out now. So the uh, elevator door closes and opposite Kirk walks by holding his bloody hand that he used to just beat the hell out of Fisher. And, and here I'm like, man, did Fisher die? Like, is our is our dead count up to 18 now? And what what a kill that would have been. Yeah, like, would that have been the first barehanded kill? I believe so. Like just just getting pummeled like that? Not a way that you'd want to go. Yeah. But uh, opposite Kirk goes into regular Kirk's quarters and he lays down on his bed and starts like nursing his hand. And he put his the, his bloody hand in his mouth. Did you see that? I did. He he, he started like sucking on the bloody hand. I, I, I wonder if he was trying to like uh, if it was like a pacifying behavior. Right. Yeah. I don't think he was like intentionally trying to get the blood off his hand, but that's still disgusting. <laughs> that's that's probably Fisher's blood, right? He's just well, maybe it? a little bit of Fisher's and a little bit of his own. Maybe he's like, I need my iron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in the sick bay, Janice is explaining the events from earlier to Kirk and Spock and McCoy. Uh, she mentions uh, scratching Kirk's face, and he's, you know, he's like, "Hey, well, look at my face. You know, I don't have any scratches on me or anything." And she mentions that Fisher, you know, saw Kirk there, and then Fisher like pops up in the door, all beat up and like bruised up, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, that was definitely Kirk that did it." So hey, we still only have seventeen dead. Also, I'd like to point out, I thought that scene was very well acted. Yeah. With her not wanting to look at him, even though I think logically she knew he didn't do it. It was still, you know, and, and her brain was like, no, 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 it looked like you. So I don't want to, you know, see you right now. Yeah. She was pretty sure, you know, that it was him. And then, like, she starts to doubt herself with the whole, when he talks about the scratches thing. Yeah, she did. It was really, really well done. Uh, so... Spock dismisses Janice and he tells Kirk that, you know, hey, the only logical answer here is that there's an imposter on board. And it's like, why is that the only logical answer? Like, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's not logical, you know, that Kirk, you know, was having a bad day and got drunk and, and tried to rape his yeoman and that, you know, she thought she scratched him but really didn't. Like, the only logical thing is, like, there has to be an imposter on board. None of those uh, mind uh, bending space aliens that we've encountered before. It has to be an imposter. Yeah, uh, so we get the commercial break section and we come back to another captain's log, uh, stardate 1672.9, and they say that the temperature on the planet's surface is beginning to drop and that the, the crew is in great danger there. Kirk and Scotty are talking in the transporter room about you know the yellow ore that Fisher had on him and how it might be the cause of the transporter trouble. And Kirk expresses, you know, his concern for his crew members still trapped on the planet and, you know, hey, the temperature is dropping. Can we try to get this thing fixed? So he tells Spock to organize uh, search parties to find, you know, the opposite version of him. And Spock, you know, brings up the, the point where he's like, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't kill that guy. You know, we just need to capture him because we don't know if that would do something to you. And Kirk's like, yeah, 
yeah, that's a good point. So we should just put our phasers on locked uh, or locked on setting one. They obviously can't teleport or beam the crew members up. Why can't they? Why can't they take the Enterprise down there to get them? Or do they not have like another sub uh, spacecraft in you know the Enterprise where you can you know go pick up a party you know if your beamers down? Yeah, that's a really good point. Like I hadn't, I didn't think about that. Um, we know that like in the last episode when they were getting really close to that planet that they the Enterprise withheld an incredible temperature. So we know that it would be okay with re-entering an atmosphere, at least as far as heat concerned, but maybe it's more like a pressure thing. And since it's a spaceship, it's not really meant for, you know, the forces of gravity and stuff like that. Like maybe it would come apart. Well, that's what I was wondering. Do they do they have anti-gravity technology at this point? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because obviously in space, you don't have to worry about that. But I just found it hard to right. believe that it couldn't go down in the atmosphere and, you know pick them up right or at the very least like you said have some sort of landing craft because that is a huge ship and you would think that it would have its own hangar for like specifically stuff like that like they can't use the teleporter or the transporter to get everywhere right well you wouldn't think so you wouldn't want to rely on just one thing just in case in this instance something happens yeah that's a, a really good point i actually i didn't think about that at all so uh kirk stresses that he you know, really doesn't want opposite Kirk to be harmed or killed. And he, he seems like he's kind of having trouble focusing here. Uh, so he says he'll make an announcement to the crew and tell them what's going on. And Spock is like, no, you know, you def definitely shouldn't do that because then, you know, you'll appear vulnerable to the crew and you can't really afford the luxury of being anything less than perfect or like the crew's going to lose faith in your command. And I, for once, like for the first time in this series, I do not agree with Spock here. I did not either. You know, yeah, I think like the captain has to be vulnerable at times, right? Like just that the pressure of being perfect all the time would like eventually just make you be, it, it would just be unbearable. Like you would eventually just kind of break, right? Like kind of like how Pike was doing and he was just over being a captain. And the thing is like this is, this situation isn't even Kirk's fault. It's not like he made some mistake and now suddenly there's two of him. It was a malfunctioning piece of equipment. And I feel like his crew would be like, yeah, you know that, you know, hey, it happens. You know, we've dealt with weirder. Right. He there's nothing wrong with, you know, looking human, knowing that, you know, you're not perfect. I, I, I think people respect someone in a position of, you know, leadership like that when there are when you are vulnerable. Like what an intense amount of pressure to put on a guy who already has to worry about like a potentially evil version of himself roaming around his ship. And now Spock's like, well, you're not allowed to ever make any mistakes. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I couldn't agree with Spock on this one. Yeah, so Kirk, though, he's like, yeah, you know, I know that, and uh, I, well, I don't know why I just forgot about that. And he goes to leave, and he turns around and tells Spock, he's like, you know, if you see me slipping up again, you know, you gotta let me know. So then we get another uh, captain's log, uh, stardate 1673.1, and uh, Kirk is narrating and explains that when he was duplicated, he lost his uh, his strength of will, and that it's being it's becoming more and more difficult for him to make decisions. Uh, so Kirk does actually end up making an announcement to the entire ship about the imposter and he tells them, you know, hey, you can this guy's got scratches on his face and you can tell, you know, that's that's how it's not me. And Spock interrupts him to remind him to tell the crew to set their phasers on stun. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. We don't <laughs> want him to like murder, you know, potentially murder angry me. I, I almost forgot to tell you guys, don't kill the imposter. <laughs> yeah, don't don't like vaporize the guy. You know, we want to capture him. 
it's just it's just a minor detail you know but would they immediately just like if they weren't told that would the the crew just immediately be like hell yeah like it's kirk hunting time and just like set their phasers <laughs> to the highest setting like i've been I've waiting only, I, for this to like, happen i've always forever. wanted to shoot the captain <laughs> yeah <laughs> if they could shoot the captain and be praised by the captain at the same time i've been waiting for this day forever yeah uh so while that's happening uh opposite kirk is shown like being just super mad because he's like you know i'm the real captain you know I, i'm and he's just like wrecking stuff but uh, but what if he is the real captain and the uh, the one that spock is with is the fake kirk like is, is either one of them really real at this point well the, they, they both come to that conclusion a little bit later on knowing that or realizing that they need each other but that, that's jumping ahead yeah they're both kind of the real one and they're both kind of the fake one but uh, he goes to a mirror and he finds some makeup and he uses it to cover his uh, face scratches. And then he opens a door and the uh, transporter technician Wilson's walking by and he's like, hey, you know, come over here. Give me your phaser. And Wilson's just like, yeah, sure. That's not weird at all that you don't have one. So he hands it over and uh, opposite Kirk just knocks him out. Which was kind of uncalled for. Yeah. Like the dude gave you what you wanted. You didn't have to be like an absolute dick about it. He didn't question it one, but he's like, here you go, boss. Yeah, see, like a nice guy too. He's like, "Oh yeah, it's it's weird, but you know, I'm not going to question it. Here's my gun." Uh, but opposite Kirk called him by name, so I was like, "Wait, does that mean that he have has all of the knowledge that uh, regular Kirk has?" Which we find out later that he does. So on the the planet, uh, Kirk is in contact with Sulu, and he's like, "Hey, you know, it, it's already." 20 below and it's getting pretty cold down here and kirk just hangs up on him like doesn't even acknowledge that he was having a conversation he's just like all right just hangs like cool story bro yeah he didn't even respond to him like sulu's like hey we're about to freeze to death and he's like click yeah. uh so spock says that uh they transported some thermo heaters to the planet but they duplicated and, and they won't work and then he gets a call from uh, a guy who is uh, explaining what happened to uh wilson with the whole phaser thing but I imagine that's like, what a goofy scenario. You can just like start sending things down to a planet and it just like starts doubling up, but it just never works. Like none of the things ever work. Like, so could you send like a blanket down there and then you just have two blankets? Cause they don't really have like a function beyond just existing. There's no like electronics or anything in them. Yeah. That, that's a good question. Like, could you send like some food and stuff down there and it just, now you just have more food or would it just like one of them tastes pretty good and the other one tastes terrible? Which, I mean, either way, you still have at least one good tasting one. Right. One actually fills you up. The other one's just like empty calories. Which, I mean, I guess wouldn't be a bad thing because you'd still, you know, use the calories for energy. But uh, Spock and Kirk talk about how uh, the opposite Kirk has all of Kirk's knowledge. So it turns out he does know everything. And Spock suggests that uh, maybe we can use that to, you know, guess his next move. Uh, he asks regular Kirk where he would go to avoid a mass search, and Kirk's like, oh, you know, I'd go down to the lower levels to the engineering deck, which is a pretty solid plan to use his own knowledge against him. But also, uh, I've been watching the Lower Decks animated show, and that's kind of what that entire show is about. It's uh, how nobody really goes down to the Lower Decks, and they're just kind of pretty much on their own. So so they kind of, I guess, uh, reinforce that here, that, yeah, Lower Decks, like, you can hide there because nobody ever goes there. You would imagine, though, someone on the lower decks would be like, hey, why is the captain down here, though? Yeah, that would be like a really weird uh, event for them to see like part of the bridge crew down there, especially being the captain. 
so they do enter the engineering deck and they set their phasers to stun and Spock suggests that, you know, hey, maybe we should get some help with this. And Kirk is like, no, I don't want anybody to see like opposite me, which is weird because he already made the announcement. But and plus, it would just look like him with scratches. But uh, while they're talking about that, uh, opposite Kirk's climbing on some equipment above him and then they kind of split up and he drops down and, and goes off after a regular Kirk and they have this kind of standoff. So Kirk tells like, you know, the fake one, he's like, well, you know, we can't hurt each other because we, we need each other. And the fake one's like, well, you know, I don't really need you. And then uh, Spock comes up behind him and does the whole Vulcan grip thing just as he fires a shot and misses and hits a, a panel and just like wrecks the panel. That's the second time, like back-to-back episodes, we get the the Vulcan grip thing. Which is pretty great. Yeah, like super effective. I, does like does that work from the front as well? Like, can you just grab somebody? Like, do you always have to be behind them? I was wondering if it wasn't like a pressure point that he's hitting that's knocking him out. Or is it just his overwhelming strengths that when he, you know, grips on you, you're like, oh, the pain's so unbearable, I'm just going to pass out. Yeah, I think it's probably a pressure point thing. But like I said, like, can you grab that from the front? Like, does your thumb have to be in a specific position in the back that maybe your fingers aren't strong enough to get to that? I don't know. I bet we we see eventually. I, I actually I want to see a time where he does that and it doesn't do anything and that he's like super surprised. I hope we get that eventually. He's like, oh, man, this person's really strong. Yeah. Uh, so in the med bay or sick bay, uh, McCoy recommends binding the opposite Kirk instead of sedating him because he doesn't know how he's going to handle, you know, being sedated and regular Kirk's having some trouble deciding what to do. And Spock is like, Hey, you know, you're rapidly losing your, your power of decision here. Uh, and he suggests that, you know, since they have the opportunity to study the way that people work, you know, with him being split and, you know, we should definitely check that out. And he's like, well, you know, maybe the evil side is what make Kirk's or what makes Kirk strong. And he's like, you know, without your evil side, you are probably not going to be able to function as a captain because, you know, it's it's where you got, you know, your strength from and your ability to make decisions. And McCoy says that, you know, Kirk can fight it with his intellect. And Kirk's like, well, you know, I don't know about that. Um, so Scotty calls Kirk to inform him of the new trouble with the transporter. And it turns out the panel that the opposite dude accidentally shot uh, was pretty necessary for the transporter. So he like burned through some wires and just kind of messed everything up. And the transporter is even more screwed now. Didn't they say it would take like a week to fix it? Yeah. Said it was going to take them. They didn't, they wouldn't be able to fix it in less than a week, which is pretty bad. Yeah. That's like, I wonder what kind of uh, parts they keep on hand in case of such an emergency. Like I, you can't imagine that, you know, your, your phaser or your teleporter wires are going to get shot with a phaser. But at the same time, I would think you have to plan for things like that. Right. But on the planet, Sulu is in contact with Kirk and he's like, hey, you know, it's 41 below now. And Kirk's like, hey, you know, we found the problem. We're going to have it repaired pretty soon. And Sulu is pretty jokingly asking, you know, like, hey, maybe you can find a really long rope somewhere and lower us down some hot coffee. And Kirk is not, you know, he's trying to joke along with him. He's like, well, you know, we'll see what I, what we can do. And Sulu's like, well, you know, you can send rice wine if you don't have any coffee. And Sulu is taking that, like, this whole situation very well. Like, he's just been joking the entire time. Which, if I was in his position, I would not be joking. I'd be pretty pissed. Oh, absolutely. I would be uh, probably, first of all, incredibly afraid that I was going to die. And then that would manifest itself into anger. Like, I would just be super pissed about it. Like, like, just bring the whole damn ship down here and get me. 
Yeah, because at this point, uh, aren't they like at like negative 40 or, or something around there? Yeah, negative 41 was what he had reported. That's cold. And then again, though, Kirk hangs up on him. <laughs> he's like, yeah, you know, if you don't have any uh, coffee, you can send me some rice wine. And he's just like, click. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you got to learn like, you know, I'll get back with you. Okay, talk to you later. Love you. Bye. <laughs> he just he just hangs up it, on him. It, well, this is the future. They do, they do things a little differently in the future. Yeah, just conversation over, click. So uh, Kirk calls on Scotty to ask for a status report, and that's when he says, you know, that they're not going to be able to have it repaired in, in less than a week. And then they go to commercial, uh, come back to another captain's log, which is going to happen a lot, probably every time they go to a commercial. So I don't know how long I'm going to keep up the whole, you know, star date thing. I'm, I'm actually, I'll just stop right now because it doesn't really seem important. Uh, it, it Like, it's nice to kind of track how much time has passed, but oftentimes I just end up forgetting anyway and assume that all of this is happening within the span of a few hours. Right. Uh, yeah, and, it, and, and most of the time it's just like this one. It's just Kirk is just recapping what's going on. He doesn't often uh, uh, offer up a lot of new information. Um, but he does actually, in this one, say that the planet is now down to 75 below. And I looked it up, and they would have been dead a long time before this happened. Because apparently at 40 below, uh, frostbite takes less than 10 minutes to set in. And at 70 below, with wind chill, your skin can actually freeze in about 30 seconds. So they are, you know, five degrees beyond that happening already. So they, and I'm pretty, pretty sure screwed. heating up those rocks won't won't help that much. Yeah, so that's what we have happening right now is Sulu uh, uses his phaser to heat up some rocks. And then the crew, like, gathers around him for heat. And he jokes... That, you know, hey, we should call room service because that coffee has taken a pretty long time, which that's actually a really good idea using his phaser like that. Uh, it's interesting, though, that if you remember in the pilot with the hidden elevator, uh, they were using their phasers to shoot those rocks to try to, like, destroy them. So does, like, a lower setting not destroy them and just, like, heat stuff up? Like, do you think that's how that worked? That's what I was assuming, but I was also thinking if you're able to, like, find a like a side of a mountain like blow a hole in the mountain and try to get in there to get out of the cold at least or at least get out of the yeah, wind I like right yeah that's a good idea too like and even the areas they were around they probably could have because there were some not mountains but some hills they probably could have blasted a hole into the side of just to get out of the wind and then like maybe heat something up in there like i said like where, where, where are the animals going on the planet when it gets that cold you'd think like you said you'd be going underground right and they're just up there heating up some rocks. Uh, but Sulu does call Kirk, and he makes a few jokes about the cold again, and you know asks how long until they're going to be brought back. And then Spock gets on the line and interrupts and tells him, you know, hey, you got to hold on a little longer. And Sulu makes mention of, you know, they're putting to use the training that uh, Spock had shown them, like the survival guide. So I guess that's how they learned how to heat up the the whole rock thing, and. Like, maybe this has happened before because they have an entire section on it in their survival guide. So, you know, in case you ever get stuck on a frozen planet and you've got your phaser, heat some rocks. So opposite Kirk wakes up kind of like screaming in a sick bay and regular Kirk goes in to ask him what's going on. And McCoy's like, well, you know, he's dying and his body is failing due to the duplication process, uh, which you would think that would be happening to regular Kirk at this time. But it's not regular Kirk goes over and like holds, you know, opposite Kirk's hand. And tells him to like hold on, and he's like, you know, you got to use your mind, and you got to think about it. And then he starts to stabilize, and then just passes out. So McCoy's like, you know, hey, this is a good time to get a drink, and leaves. 
And uh, as he, you know, when he's after he leaves, Kirk uh, talks about how, you know, he has to, he's just kind of talking to himself. He goes, uh, yeah, I got to get this one, you know, back inside. Like we have to merge back into one being. McCoy comes back with his drink and uh, he talks about how, you know, everybody's got a good side and a bad side. And, you know, that's, that's a really necessary thing and it's what makes us human. So we get our kind of, you know, uh, philosophical part of the episode here. Which I enjoyed. Yeah, it's 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 not like like cheesy in any way. You know, it's just kind of standard uh, drama stuff. But they always seem to have like really good dialogue when it comes to these moments. Yeah, it, I, I just enjoyed it because basically it's saying, hey, the sums of all your good and bad of you makes you you. Right. Uh, so Spock calls to tell regular Kirk that he needs him to come to the transporter room and they might have found a solution. Uh, but as Kirk leaves, uh, the the opposite one is laying on the bed and he starts smiling because he just kind of overheard everything that uh, Bones and, and Kirk had said. Uh, but back in the transporter room, Spock explains that they found a way to tie the transporter directly into the impulse engines to make it work again. So he suggests that they test it with the unicorn dog thing. And Scotty's like, hell yeah, animal experimentation, and goes over and just grabs, you know, the animal, and Spock just knocks it out. <laughs> they don't show him knocking it out. Do you think he just, like, punch the thing in the face, or do he do the Vulcan thing on it? The, the Vulcan grip, for sure. Yeah, it just reaches down, and it's just like, all right. So they put the, both of them on the transporter and, and fire it up, which then I'm wondering, like, if this didn't work, okay, and they just ended up transporting both of them down to the planet then that crew down there gets one happy dog and one super pissed off dog and they're freezing. <laughs> so they just or like, what if it split them even further? So then you get like the evil one had all of its evil taken out. So you have like one more evil one and I'm maybe one less evil one or one slightly evil one or slightly what less evil. What is this Majin Buu? Yeah. It's just, just little booze everywhere. But yeah. They would just have just, pissed off dog down there while they're freezing and probably at that point they would be like screw this and just shoot it and eat it if you can heat up rocks with the phaser you could probably cook meat right oh you just throw that dog on those rocks and you know you'd have a gourmet meal yeah absolutely uh so the animal comes back in the transporter though and it's one animal but it is dead and this is where uh bones is like he's dead jim and i is that where like the that meme came from because I've seen that in like a million different places. And I wonder if this is the episode. Because if so, like if that entire meme has been about him announcing that, you know, this dog unicorn thing is dead, then I I, I would have thought that it was something more prominent than that. I do not know that meme. No? Oh, yeah. I don't, it's like it's a big. Yeah, I don't yeah, think I've ever seen one. that meme. Yeah. it it Well, maybe it's not a big one, but it does pop up from time to time. Uh, even in like non- you know, Star Trek related areas. Cause obviously, you know, before this, I didn't hang out in those areas. So I, I've seen it, but, uh, we go to the commercial, come back and actually Spock is giving a captain's log. And, uh, he's just, you know, explaining the current situation again. So he's just kind of taking over for Kirk and bones, uh, is ordering an autopsy of the animal. And he says, you know, Hey, it might've just died of shock, but we want to make sure Spock's like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. You know, there was, that dog probably would have been in a lot of terror and, you know, that could have been what killed the animal. Uh, and he's like, you know, if we did this with Kirk though, he wouldn't be scared. You know, he would understand what's going on. So maybe the shock wouldn't kill him. And, uh, Kirk agrees with McCoy that, you know, they need to do the autopsy and double check the transporter circuits. And Spock reminds him, you know, Hey, you got crew on the the planet that's freezing to death because he had forgotten all about that. 
Well, he's hung up on him a couple times, so I don't think he cares. Yeah, he's he's really just trying to use this as a situation to get rid of Sulu. He's like, no one's died yet from this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, first of all, nobody's died in a really long time. And second of all, I just really don't like Sulu. So <laughs> this is a great way to get rid of him. <laughs> he's always making those jokes about wanting his rice wine. He's like, you get your rice wine in hell. <laughs> so, uh... Kirk, uh, you know, he agrees to the transporter thing and McCoy's, you know, tells him it's not a good idea. He's like, you know, that could kill you. Uh, and if that happens, you know, the crew's just going to end up dying anyway. So it would all be pointless. And Spock is arguing about, you know, he's like, I've got experience with this kind of thing because I have a human side and a Vulcan side and they're constantly at war with each other. But, you know, my intelligence wins out over both of them. And, you know, I think that would be the situation with Kirk, too. And I think that that's just absolute garbage. Like, Kirk was literally split into two people. Spock was just born with like half human, half Vulcan. Like it is not a similar situation at all. Agreed. Yeah. Like if you, if, if you would split Spock, like one would be human and one would be Vulcan, then it's a similar situation. But like just being like a mixed race is not the same as being literally split into two. Right. I, I thought Spock should have argued the point that Kirk was going to die either way, possibly. Like, hey, you're you're obviously dying being split from your other self. Or you might die if we try to put you together. So there's you're not really losing anything. You're just taking a gamble. Yeah. You might as well chance it. Like, Spock has been so off on this episode. Like, up to this point, I've been 100% with him all the way. And then he's just, he's not there anymore. Like, he's just been... I think wrong on everything. Like, Maybe it's, I don't know why this one uh, from last episode when he got his emotions messed with uh, has put him in a different state of mind. Yeah, I don't know because like he's just he's been so off, and for some reason this one especially just kind of pissed me off because he's like, oh, this you know I, I go through this every day. Oh, you go through being split in two every day. Like that's a terrible existence. Also, you should know how to fix it by now. Then. <laughs> Like, like I get what he, I get the comparison he was making, but it's, it's not the same. It's just not. But Kirk is like, you know, hey, I can't really make this decision. I need one of you guys to decide for me. And McCoy tells him, you know, that you have to do this yourself. So Kirk's like, all right, uh, Spock, you go right to the transporter room, and McCoy, you just do your autopsy anyway. Uh, so Kirk goes back to the sick bay, and uh, Uhura calls him to put him on with Sulu. And Sulu's like, hey, you know, it's 117 below zero here, and uh, we're probably not going to make it much longer. And then Kirk just loses contact with them, I'm assuming because of, like, the cold. I think they had, like, communications issues. Well, at that point, your electronics are probably uh, somehow freezing. Yeah, and really, it just uh, saved Kirk the trouble of having to hang up on him. He's like, I was just, I wasn't going to answer. I was going to hang up anyway. <laughs> and then they got cut off. And he's like, oh, thank God. I'm so sick of talking like, to him. Who's this new phone? Yeah, new 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 uh, communicator. Who dis? <laughs> so opposite Kirk asks, you know, hey, you know, what are you going to do? And Kirk's like, hey, we're going to go through the transporter. And uh, he draws his phaser and then unties uh, opposite guy. And opposite Kirk is like, yeah, I'm not going to fight you anymore. You know, I'm feeling pretty weak. And he's just kind of, you know, standing there, not looking great. So he stands up, uh, but he falls down into Kirk's arm and Kirk catches him. And then uh, opposite Kirk just starts punching regular Kirk in the stomach. Like, I feel like he should have seen that one coming. 
But uh, he slams Kirk's head into the door, uh, making him drop his phaser, and then opposite guy grabs it and hits Kirk with it, and then he just takes off. So in the corridor, we see uh, opposite Kirk, who is now dressed as the real Kirk. And I'm like, where the hell did he get that uniform? Like, did he steal it off of him? Like, he just strip him down and take his his clothes? Because before, you know, the opposite one was wearing uh, the gold uniform and regular one was wearing green, which I guess now that I think about it is also kind of weird because why the hell would that happen when they split? Wouldn't they be wearing the same thing? Unless uh, regular Kirk had changed shirts at some point in the episode. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. I think he was wearing his regular uniform down on the planet. And then maybe when he went to his room, he changed. I think you're right. Okay, that makes much more sense now. I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Why the hell are they dressed differently? But uh, yeah, so he's dressed as uh, the real Kirk. And he runs into Janice. And he apologizes to her. And he kind of explains, you know, hey, there was an evil clone of me, which is actually him. You know, there's an imposter going around and he you know he even scratched himself to make himself look more like me and uh you know he offers to go to her cabin later to explain a little more which like he's still trying like good for him uh so then he goes to the bridge on the bridge uh, also he was far less rapey this time which is definitely a, a step in the right direction <laughs> but i, I feel like he would be much more rapey later yeah he's had a long day he already got drunk, tried to rape her once. And he beat himself up. Yeah. So on the bridge, he just gives the helmsman uh, the order to leave the planet and says, you know, hey, crew on the planet can't be saved. You know, see you later, suckers. And he tells Spock that uh, he changed his mind about the transporter. And then that's when the real Kirk and Dr. McCoy enter the bridge. And opposite Kirk orders the crew to grab him. They're like He's like, hey, you know, that's a fake one. Get that guy. And uh, he tries to convince Spock and the real that the real Kirk is the imposter and Spock's just like, you know what? I'm staying out of this. Like you two figure this shit out. I'm, I'm really over this. So opposite Kirk uh, threatens to shoot the real one. And the real one's like, well, you know, if you do that, we're both going to die, which is unproven at this point. Uh, you know, and the opposite one kind of starts to break down and, and Kirk slowly reaches out and takes the phaser from him. And you know, the, the fake one starts like pleading that he doesn't want to go back in the same body. You know, he really wants to stay separate. So, you know, Kirk gives him a nice hug and uh, they take him to the transporter room. And I thought that uh, both sides, like both Kirk's, uh, it was really well acted. Like it was a really good scene. Um, I actually, so far I've really liked opposite Kirk Shatner. Like he's been super solid, you know, portraying in a, a completely different, but the same role. Right. Uh, so Spock fires up the transporter and the two Kirks disappear and they have some trouble getting him back. And uh, Spock, you know, does some stuff at the panel, gets him brought back. Uh, Kirk steps off the transporter and then orders them to get the crew back off the planet immediately. So they transport all those guys back and McCoy's like, you know, hey, aside from some frostbite, you know, they're all going to be fine. And then we go back to the bridge and Kirk, you know, thanks Spock for his help. And Yeoman Rand comes up, you know, and starts to explain her run-in with the imposter one. And, you know, she's kind of stumbling over her words a little bit because you can tell she has a, a thing for Kirk. And Kirk just thanks her and, and then walks away. So she goes over to Spock, who mentions, you know, that the imposter uh, had some interesting qualities. You know, so he's kind of like, eh, eh, you know, you really like that version of Kirk, huh? And then uh, the episode ends with the Enterprise going on to its next adventure. So, uh... What do you think about this one, Dan? Overall, I really enjoyed the episode. I 
thought it was pretty solid. Uh, like I said earlier in the episode, though, my only question was, why can't the Enterprise somehow go down there and get the crew? But other than that, I thought it was a pretty solid episode. Yeah, I'm right there with you on this one. Um, it's good, again, to be away from brain stuff. It's completely different than the virus thing. Um, a lot of really good acting. Uh, you know, I've seen some people complain that Shatner overacted throughout this series. And I don't know, like, maybe he gets that way in the later episodes or later seasons. But I just have not seen that. Like, I've seen a lot of just really good work from Shatner. And this is another one that... You know, like I said, he was really good as like the opposite version of himself and portraying them both differently so that you could easily tell which one was which. And yeah, I just I, I really enjoyed this episode, like uh, a, a different problem brought about in a pretty interesting way. The stakes didn't seem as high as they normally do. Like, so what? Your captain dies and, you know, a few more crewmen die. You've already lost 17 at this point. Like, what's another like four? Right. Uh, but but overall, yeah, I thought it was just a, I thought it was a really good episode, and uh, I'm I'm still excited just to see what other problems they come up with for this crew. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for me. Do you have anything else? Nope, I think you summed it up pretty good. Okay, so the next episode that we're gonna watch is gonna be season one, episode six, called "Muds Women," and that's an interesting title. Again, I'm not looking at the description, so I'm gonna be completely dis- uh, surprised by this. But uh, if anybody wants to, you know, talk about the show or or the podcast, you can get us on Twitter at WWST underscore podcast. Uh, you can email us questions, comments, uh, WWSTpod at gmail.com. You can check out our podcast pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts, including on YouTube. So if you're listening on like Spotify or something and you'd rather be on YouTube, we're on there as well. And uh, I think that's going to do it for me. Later, guys.